Well, hey, good morning. Hey, it's great to see you guys here this morning. My name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors uh, here and just want to yeah, just continue to add my welcome to all the welcomes that you've got. We're so glad that you guys are here. So, hey, we're going to dive back into Mark uh, before we do. I want you to think for a moment. Um, think of a time in your recent history, maybe, or the last time that you took a trip, okay? So just imagine with me, remember the last time you took a trip and you went out of town. Okay, where did you go? How long were you there? You know, maybe it was a day, a couple days, maybe it was a week, a couple weeks, or whatever it is, and eventually you come back home, describe, and you just kind of in your brain, like, what happens? Because here's my guess, as is very similar to mine, is that, that we drive home from these trips, right? And then we get to our street, and as we're driving home, and you look around, the neighborhood and you say, oh, that's the neighbor, that's that neighbor. And these are the neighbors over here. I love those guys. And these people I haven't even met yet. I need to meet them. And so, you know, like you're starting to, I'm picturing all the houses, I'm picturing faces. And then I drive and then I pull into my, into my garage or I really hit the garage button. It goes, bleep, and I pull in, I unload my stuff and I look back out and guess what? Nobody's there. End of story take my stuff in, close the door, go inside. That's what happens. When was the last time you ever went on a trip and you came back and as soon as your car came down the street, the neighbors were like, the Johnsons are back. Let's go meet the Johnsons. We're so excited. This is great. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And then like all of a sudden, like you're like trying to unpack your car and they're just like crowding around you. Hey, we're so glad. Hey, can we talk? We're so glad that you're home. That never happens. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen to me. It doesn't happen to you. But guess what? It happens to Jesus. You see, Jesus has gone for a trip. We don't know how long he's gone. Mark doesn't tell us. But Jesus goes on this trip and he's gone for days, weeks, months, we don't know. He gets back into town and maybe, we don't know because Mark doesn't tell us all the context, but the guess is, is it's daytime. The birds are out and chirping. You got the boats on the water sloshing in their boats and you got the market and it's all a buzz and everybody's excited, right, to do life. But then as Jesus walks through town, the word begins to spread. You see, Jesus doesn't come into town banging pots. Hey, I'm home. It's just he shows up and one person sees him and the rumors begin. Jesus is back. He's home. Let's go see Jesus. Let's go talk to him. Let's go listen to Jesus. Like, because that's the fame, the fandom of Jesus. We're starting chapter two today and this is already what we're dealing with. You see, there's this fascination and this awe that has been building around Jesus and story after story after story in the little town of Nahum or Capernaum, as we like to call it, in northern Galilee, rural, ancient Israel, and yet 2,000 years later, we're talking about him because this is Jesus who showed up, son of God, son of man creator of all things on earth in the flesh. Word became flesh 2,000 years later because he radically changed the world. Can I invite you this morning to think in this way, Jesus is back. And so as you listen, as we open up Mark chapter 2, would you be ready just to see and hear, to listen about Jesus in fresh ways so it's like Jesus is back. Be fascinated, captivated by the real Jesus. 
Because here's where we jump in, is into Mark chapter 2. But if you haven't been here these last couple weeks, let me recap. It started in Mark chapter 1 with John the Baptist, right? He enters into the scene, and what does he do? He says, make his path straight. It's this quote from Isaiah, right? And that word straight is Mark. It's uthus. It's Mark's way, the author's way of inviting and bringing urgency into the kingdom. It's about this is who God is, and this is us on earth, and this is how they're meeting together, and there are urgent matters at stake. There's an immediacy that needs to be dealt with when we think about who God is and the way that he's working in the world. And so as Jesus enters into the scene, what are Mark's first words of Jesus? Repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is here. You see, the kingdom is Mark's way and Jesus' way of talking about God becoming king right now. It's not about this far off time. It's not about heaven in the future, although someday we'll get there. But right now, it's about who's God and how is he becoming king right now. That's what we're talking about. And so Mark, the way that he does this as an author, is that he starts by, by listing out these ways in which Jesus has authority in the world in which we live in. The authority of the prince to the ruler of all things to build this kingdom. And it starts with his teaching, right? His teaching, everyone's amazed and astonished at the teaching of Jesus. Why? Because he teaches as one with authority. But guess what? Jesus isn't just a good teacher, Jesus has authority over creation, and we see that. So Mark, Mark's first conflict with Jesus in the gospel right here is not with, it's not with the scribes, it's not with the Pharisees, it's not with his disciples. The first conflict is with demons. It's like the other world rulers. So Jesus enters in the scene. He's like, repent to believe the gospel. He goes into town. Guess what? Demon shows up, and Jesus is like, uh-uh, not now. You're done. And he commands, and even the demons, the most powerful other beings, listen and obey Jesus because he has authority as creator. But it's not just these demons, as Jesus has the authority over sickness. We saw with Peter's mother-in-law, right? Is that Jesus, she's ill with a fever, and he leans down, he grabs her by the hand, and with all of this compassion, he, he pulls her up, and the fever immediately leaves her, and she serves. But it's not just the, the simple things like fever, right? Last week we saw that there's other healings, right? There's much things much messier in life. And so we were introduced to the character of the leper and the leper shows up and all of a sudden you begin to picture yourself and you see one spot appear on your arm. And as it turns white, as your skin begins to die and the hair begins to fall out and you try to hide it for a while, but eventually you can't hide it anymore. It's too messy too far gone. And so everywhere you go, you have to shout and claim unclean. Because if anybody touches you, guess what? They get what you have. And so when Jesus shows up, the man comes to Jesus and says, if you're willing, I know that you can make me clean. And Jesus is like, I am willing. And it's like he reaches out to touch. And if you're a disciple standing on the back, you'd be, oh, don't do it. Don't do it, Jesus. You touch him. The moment you touch him, you get it. That's not good. It's a two-way thing. And she's like, no, it's not. Not for me. Pfft, healed. 
And all of a sudden, you go, man, the mess that Jesus can enter into, right? He's got authority over these things, and yet everything has been leading towards Mark chapter 2, these first 12 verses, because what Mark is going to do is he's going to say, Jesus doesn't just have the authority to do those things. Guess what? Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And it's crazy how good this is. And this is going to be a thing that guides the entire Bible. We're talking about the forgiveness of sins, what we need most. You see, Mark takes us to the deeper level. It's not just the physical things that we need. It's what's underneath that we need most. And that's where he's taken us. So let's dive in at Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what it says, the first four verses. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. And many gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Okay, guys, here's the deal. For some of you, that might be the first time you've heard this story. And maybe for others, you guys, like, this is something I'm very familiar with. But there is a lot in here. So let's just process the story here for a moment. Because if you think about what this could have looked like, Right, because remember, Jesus enters into the city and everyone begins to gather, right? And so all these people begin to run towards Jesus' house or whoever's house he's at. They run into Jesus' house. And I just picture these four guys who are, work, maybe they're working together. We don't know. Maybe they're fishermen. Maybe they're other guys. But they might, maybe they begin to run to Jesus until one of them is like, hey, hey, wait, wait, guys, 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 what, what about, what about, what about Timmy? Timmy's back at at his house. He's paralyzed. He can't even crawl. That's on the other side of town. He can't get there. What do we do? Well, let's go get him. So they go in the forum, they grab, and they pick him up, and they bring him to the house, right? They bring him to the house. By the way, this is what this would kind of look like, right? So this is kind of like a you know, just drawing. And so these guys, they come in, you know, from other side of town, and you got these four guys, one, two, three, four, right? And then you've got the fifth guy who's the paralyzed guy and he's with them. So you got five guys and they get here and they run and they get there as fast as they can because maybe this is their only shot. They don't know how long Jesus is going to stay. We've got to get there right now. And what do they find? Open door? Nah. Faces and heads, the back of people's heads, hair, bald people, who knows? All sorts of people crowding around so much, so much so, there's not even room at the door. Maybe there's some people over here, they're by by the window, they're just trying to catch whatever word they can. Somebody's up on their tippy toes, like, ah, I just want to listen. Listen in. And this is what they find, is the place is packed. Can you imagine for a second if that happened, you know, like if Jesus came to Salem? (laughs) 2023, Jesus, TBD, coming to Salem. He walks through the doors. Guess what? It don't matter what church you're from. You're from Ignite. You're from Bethel. You're from Hope. It doesn't matter. You're somebody from the community. Like, I don't know. All I've heard is the name Jesus, but I'm showing up. And Jesus is here. And I want you to imagine every single one of these spaces filled. It's so much so, it's not like people are neat and tidy, right? When Jesus is around, guess what? It's elbow to elbow room. It's standing room only. 
And so you got people sitting crisscross all over the place. You got people lining around the walls. You got kids hanging from the balcony. There's like, I just want to hear Jesus. And all of a sudden, the fire marshal shows you up like, ah, what's he going to do? He's like, no, I'm just here to hear Jesus. Right? He's like, I don't care. I want Jesus. So much so that it fills into the foyer, and then it fills all the way around, and people are just trying to listen through the doors. And it goes out into the parking lot. All of a sudden, those doors out there, there's just people shoulder to shoulder, right? They're just like, I'm just trying to listen through the doors. Can you imagine? Imagine this happening, right? And then imagine that these four young guys show up in a van, and they pull into the parking lot, and they pull out of the back a stretcher with a guy, and they take him to the front out there. And they say, hey, excuse me, can we get through? Shh, Jesus is teaching. Don't interrupt Jesus' teaching. This is the best thing we've ever heard. Don't interrupt. Well, actually, we've got this guy with a problem. We've all got problems. Do you see how many people are here? It stinks, and that's just the least of our problems. Oh, well, what are we going to do? And so they step back, and as they begin to wonder and ponder, how do we get to this Jesus character? And so if we come back over here, right, what do we see? Is that all of a sudden these guys are looking at this, going, man, this is an enclosed building. There's one door. That's it. There's no back door that we're sneaking through. That's not how these things are designed, right? And so you're pondering, pondering, and all of a sudden somebody's like, hey, what about up there on the roof? Because on the sides of these houses would have been these stairs that are built in, right? And so they would have climbed climbed up the stairs and come on, which by the way, and on the top, this is meant to support people because where do you want to be when it gets cool out? You want to be on the roof. You know, like it comes to the end of the day when your house has basically been an oven. It's a clay thing. It's just been cooking all day in the heat. You want to be in there when it's getting cool? Nah, it's still hot. So you want to be up on the roof. And so this roof is meant to support people. And so they would have climbed all the way up here. So you got one, two, three, and four, you got your four guys plus your paralyzed guy. Five guys, right? And here's what happens, is that they begin to dig a hole. They begin to dig a hole. I love the Mark, I love the Mark is such a, he's a straightforward writer, I love that he says this. He, you, it says in the ESV, it says, remove the roof. In the Greek, here's what it says. It says, they unroofed the roof. <laughs> Brilliant. These four guys, they go up and map. Took a construction uh, degree to build this thing, but tell you what, don't take no construction degree to unbuild it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unroof the roof. That's what I'm going to do. Man, seems like a good idea. Can you imagine, just for a moment, like this is not the world that we live in today. Just imagine like Jesus is here in this building, 2023, right? And all of a sudden, you're like, everyone's listening. Shh, Jesus is teaching. And these guys in the back, well, we can't, we don't know what to do. What do we do? I got an idea. Beep, 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 beep. And with a backhoe, they just rip a hole right through the ceiling. Whoever's sitting over there, not good for them. <laughs> I don't know. You know, like, like that's not the world we live in. It's different, but that's essentially what they did. 
A roof was built like this. So at the top of the house, there's these big, massive kind of pillars that go across it, these timbers. And on top of the timbers, they laid all sorts of hay. And then on top of the hay, they bring in clay and they pack down the clay and, and just layer after layer. And they pound it in to make sure that that roof is as waterproof and sealed as possible. All in all, at the end of the day, your roof's about two feet thick. And so these guys are on the roof. I mean, it's plenty strong to hold them. But as they look down, what do we do? Ah, we just begin to claw. And you imagine inside, everything is as normal, right? Jesus is still teaching. But in time, you begin to hear this, this scratching. And they're like, man, these guys got a really big cat or something's wrong. What's going on? And all of a sudden, right, is that is there's so much digging happening and all the clay and, and the straw and those beams, I think, would stay still, right? But everything else begins to shift. And, and as Jesus is teaching and he's teaching the word of God and everybody's locked in until a piece of clay hits you on the head. And you're like, well, actually, it kind of hurt. Uh, shouldn't, shouldn't do that. Don't do that. Um, but like you know, until a piece of clay hits you on the head and then the dust begins to fill, right? And then clay begins and people begin to cough. And right, and you know, like, does it get quiet? Do people start chattering? Like what's going on in the room? And the clawing gets, gets even, even bigger and louder. And all of a sudden it's like that, that hand through the rubble just kind of pops down in and comes down into the room and and then another hand and and they keep destructing and pulling this house apart. Which, by the way, we don't know whose home it is. <laughs> I wonder what he thought. You know, like you get, like you, you look at Mark, it just says that Jesus returned home, returned to Capernaum. For some days it was reported that he was at home. That's verse one. Capernaum was his home city, so maybe he's in a stranger's house. We don't know. But what if he's, like, who's his, like, where's his, like, base of operations in Capernaum? Peter's house. Is this Peter's house? Like, what if Jesus is like, and he's watching this, and all of a sudden he's like, oh no, Pete. And Pete's like, what? What are you doing to my roof? Pete, I'm sorry, man, this is the cost of following Jesus, you know? You know, I gotta give up your home, you know? <laughs> Poor Pete. Sorry, Pete. It's just what happens when you're with Jesus. You know, like all of a sudden, so these guys, they start to dig a hole in the roof. Now, here's the reality is that Mark doesn't give us any of that context. You can picture in your head, the focus isn't on the building. The focus is on the people because here's what's happening, right? This is an enclosed space and it is, it's not open. It is unaccessible. Jesus is tucked away, unaccessible to people. And what ends up happening is they open it up and all of a sudden Jesus is accessible. He's right there. They had the creativity and the ingenuity to rip that thing right off. And so as we come back, right, you've got these four guys who are on the roof. And what they do is they dig this hole. And from this hole, they begin to lower this guy down into the room, which, by the way, I wonder what that was like. Beep, 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 beep. You know, the thing's squeaking as he's coming down and lowered and lowered and lowered. And all of a sudden, you've got Jesus right over here. And all eyes are on Jesus. And see, what Mark is doing in this moment is he's setting up those above and those below. So you've got these people, and we'll see them later, and you've got these people down here. 
There's those who are above and those who are below. But all eyes in that moment would be focused on Jesus and the paralytic man. Do you get that? Like, just picture yourself. Put yourself in the story. Put yourself there, right? And I want you just to think about this, right? Jesus is focused on the people, not the program or the property. It's not that the program or the property, that's not significant. Those are significant. But what Jesus is focused on in this moment is the people. That's pretty staggering, isn't it? If a crane came in in here and ripped the roof off, I'm pretty sure we'd all be like, ah! Jesus is like, here's the guy that needs my help. You see, like, when you think about a program, you know, Jesus is like in the middle of a sermon and they're like ripping the roof off and just like, hey, guys, 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 I got 30 minutes left. Come back. Come back. I got to finish this. This is important. This teaching, these people need to hear it, so don't interrupt. Let's not do that. Come back in 30 minutes. He's also not worried about the, the building in that moment, right? Right? You know, you're thinking about it like Jesus starts calculating his Jesus numbers, like, doo, 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 doo. that's about $250 worth of damage. Guys, I see what you did there. It's pretty clever. Really, really proud of you guys for getting to me, but you're going to have to pay for that. You know, like, nah, maybe those conversations happened, you know, but Jesus, in this moment, he is focused, laser focused on the person, this paralyzed man and everybody else with him, just writing that story. I want just to stop and pause and pull out of this for a moment and just to talk about spiritual friendships and just to ask this question, like, like what kind of friends do you have right now in your life? Do you have friends, like when you are in when some type of struggle, some type of whatever it is, whether it's physical or mental, emotional, right, it's circumstantial, you know, you got something going on in life, do you have friends in your life who look at you and go, man, Timmy really needs some help. I'm going to go, I'm going to go get him and I'm going to take him to Jesus? Or are your friends the type of people who go, man, I know that you got needs, but I'm too busy. Too busy. Which leads me to the next question. What kind of friend are you? What kind of friend are you? Are you the type of person, he's like, man, I know that you got problems. I got, I got problems too. <laughs> we all got problems. So eh, I'm just not going to help. Right? You see, there's this big question. What kind of friends do you have and what kind of a friend are you? Because here's what we need. The church needs to be a people who guys go look at people in need. You go to them and you go, man, I'm going to take you to Jesus. Because that's what we're going to find is really kind of at the heart of the story is that these guys and their faith, check this out as we move to verse 5. As we move to the forgiveness piece, here's where their faith enters in. Right? Jesus, when Jesus saw their what? Their faith. Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic son, son, your sins are forgiven. Guys, there's a, lot to, there's a lot that we could unpack in that, but I want to talk about our expectations for a moment, okay? Um, this last Sunday was Nikki and I's 12th anniversary, um, and uh, we knew, like we had remembered ahead of time, which, which is usually not the case. We honestly oftentimes forget. So if you guys can all remember September 17th uh, every year, let me know. Um, and so, but we had remembered the week before that it was our, it was our anniversary is coming, and we thought, man, it's a busy day, it's going to be a busy week, we're just not going to be able to do, do something, pull it off. And so we said, oh, we'll do something later on in the week. Well, Sunday morning came, and here's what I remembered, is that Saturday night was really hard bedtime for our daughter, and so we were, I was just, it was just a really difficult moment for our family. And so I woke up on Sunday, I thought, you know what, I just want my daughter to know how much I love her. So I go and I grab a sheet of paper, and I write, Hey, baby girl, 
I just want you to know how much Dada loves you. I can't wait to see you at church. See you soon. Love, Dada. And I plastered that thing to the fridge like I was the best dad in the world. <laughs> Got it. Nailed it. Done. Woo! I, by the way, people laughed earlier, and I was like, I know that it takes more than that, okay? It's just a small thing, right? But I put a note on the, on the fridge, and then I went to church. And I was here, and I was getting ready, and all of a sudden I got a text that came through from Nikki Dunham, my wife. And I thought, oh, that's really nice. What does it say? Happy anniversary. Oh, no. <laughs> Babe, I'm so sorry. I totally forgot. I even was extra intentional this morning and left a note for Eden. She goes, oh, I know. I saw it. I thought it was for me. Fail. Mm, I was like, no. You see, like, there's these expectations that happen when you have this expectation about here's what's going to happen, and that doesn't happen. <laughs> not good. It's not a fun thing. But let me make it more personal for you because this week I don't want to scare you, and everything seems fine to the best of our our knowledge. But this week I had a I had a health scare, and something happened, and it made me really wrestle with some stuff. And so Nikki and I, as we're talking to the doctor hand in hand and just processing what could be going on and all those things, it turns out everything seems fine, but you know, there's still, still more to know. And here we are holding hands and all that time, all I'm thinking about in that moment is Jesus, if he could just show up and heal me because that's what I want. It's what I think that I need right now more than anything. I just want to know that I'll be here for the rest of time for my family for as long as I can and thinking through those things. You see, and those things are important to us because that's our livelihood. When things like that confront our mortality, all of a sudden, like you begin to think, yeah, these things are really important because this changes and shapes the way that we do life. And so those are significant and important things. But I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the paralytic because when he's lowered down on the mat, this is who he is. This is what he's got. That's it. He comes down into the hole, and they're lowering him down, and here he is. He's just, hey, Jesus, I'd shake your hand, but I can't. I'd give you a hug, but I can't. I can't. Like, I can't even do that because he's paralyzed, right? You see what I'm saying? Because when we start to think about that, we go, man, this is what we need. This is what we want. And Jesus, in that moment, with all of his compassion, is like, I got you. Your sins are forgiven. What? Like in that moment, like I think if you're a paralytic, you're like, yeah, man, like I'm actually kind of confused. Like that sounds really good and all, but I still can't wiggle my toes. Like I still can't move. I can't, I can't give you a hug. I can't do it. Like I'm so glad that sounds really good, but man, could you just, you know, like, like all of a sudden you begin to wrestle with this. And what we're finding out is that from Jesus' perspective, what Mark is recording as an author is this, is that he's using the paralytic man as the perfect physical representation of our spiritual need. Because here's what happens. Apart from Jesus and apart from the forgiveness of sins, this is who we are. We are lowered down on a mat. We can't even crawl to Jesus. We need someone else to even get us there. And they lower you down on the, on the mat. And you're squeaking all the way down and you get there and you look at Jesus and you go, it's good to see you. But here's what you need to know. I got, got nothing. Can't work my way. I can't get here. I can't do anything. 
I desperately need you. See, that's who we are at the core in our sin. That's sinful nature. That's the depravity of man. You got nothing. You are a paralyzed man in your soul. And you're like, look at me, I can do jumping jacks. I'm not talking about your physical body. I'm talking about your soul. You got nothing. You are a paralyzed person who can do nothing on your own apart from the grace of God. Here's what I think you need to know in this moment is that faith always is always the means to forgiveness. It's always the means to forgiveness. Guys, the gospel in the story right here, this is not a self-help book. It's not like Jesus showed up and was like, hey man, if you had been taking your medication, this all would have been fine. He doesn't show up and go, you know what? I got a special ointment and oil. Here you go, take it, do that for three weeks, you'll be good. He doesn't mean show up and just say, hey man, if you were just such a bad sinner, this wouldn't be the case. No, it's not the case. He shows up, he's like, I don't care all about all those things. Here's what I know. You got faith, your sins are forgiven. It's incredible, right? By the way, this whole idea of forgiveness, this is a driving force in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, this is the story, right? It's captured right here in these 12 verses. Jesus is like, hey, here's why I'm here. Your sins are forgiven. <laughs> it's this incredible thing, right, that God, when sin entered in the world, God's like, I got to solve. I got a problem right here in front of me. I got a solution. It's going to take me some time. But guess what? In the end, everything's going to be good. And there's restoration that can happen between man and the creator. Forgiveness is a driving theme in the Bible. But it's not in these moments without consequence. Because Jesus' famedom has brought to town these other people. Who are these people, right? All of a sudden, like, we come into this room. And all of a sudden, I don't know where Jesus is at, but maybe right here in the corner, you got these guys tucked right in. These guys are the scribes. Who are the scribes? They're different. They're not the normal, ordinary people. These are the religious elite. These are the people who run the law. They can interpret and write law, and they're usually associated with the temple down in Jerusalem, and yet they've made the trek all the way up to, to small town Capernaum, Capernaum, to see who is this Jesus character and what is going on. And guess what? They're probably in the most comfy spots in that house because that's what they do. They get the best seats, don't they? And so here they are. They're tucked into this little space inside, inside the walls of this little house. And here's how it goes down. Look at verse 6. It says, Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, What does this man, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can for sin, forgive sins but God alone? You know, I see, I think that in this moment, like, there was a common phrase back in that time where you could say that God forgives you. And there was that way that priests or scribes could do that for people. So I almost wonder if it's like in that moment, like, did I just hear that right? I think that what you meant to say was is that Jehovah, yeah, he can forgive your sins. Not that you can do it. And it's like Jesus in a stare match is like, no, I said what I meant and I meant what I said. You see, they process. I think they're beginning to process this. And it's like all of a sudden, you're like, oh, man, like, man, I'm actually, you know what? I think he's saying that he can forgive sins. <gasps> Gasp. It's blasphemy. You see, blasphemy is anything that detracts or subtracts from the glory of God. And so in this moment, what they look at is that just Jesus' character is now usurping the power and the authority of God because he's taking something that only God can do and putting it on himself. And when he does that, he destroys and deconstructs God in the way that everybody else thought. Here's the deal. It's a huge deal if 
Jesus wasn't who he said he was and if he couldn't do what he actually did. It's a huge deal. You think, you know, sometimes you say something, you can just tell when people are questioning things, like you say something, you say something crazy and they may roll roll their eyes, Uh, they might give you an incredulous look, Uh, they might start chattering, you know, like, sound like squirrels in the background, you know, whatever it is, you know, and Jesus could maybe hear that, but that's not what happens. It says they're questioning in their hearts. Look at this in verse, in verse, um, in verse eight, here's how it goes, right? Um, he says, and immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus question within themselves. So he's picking up in his own self, in his own spirit, what's happening in their hearts. He said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? And it's like, like in that moment, if you're one of those scribes, you're like, how did he know? How did he know? Several months ago, Nikki and I were in the car and we were driving somewhere, um, which is honestly normally the place where we get into arguments for whatever reason, but this time it wasn't the case. Everything was peaceful and quiet, but we were just sitting, driving, going somewhere, and it was super quiet. Neither of us had said anything. We were just enjoying the car ride. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we both went, hey, did you... It was so weird. You ever do that with people? It was super weird. And I was like, no, you go. And she goes, I bet we're going to say the same thing. I was like, no, no way, no way. My thought was so far removed and so random, it's not even about us, it's about something else. She goes, she goes oh, I think we we're going to say the same thing. I said, okay, what do you think that we we're going to say? And then she told me, and I was like, oh, I was going to say the same thing. I was like, get out of my head. Like, well, how did you do that? Like, we we're just married. Like, and, and just like one of those crazy moments, but this is Jesus who has this innate ability to perceive in the scribes' hearts what's really going on. And he has, in this moment, the boldness. He asks this question. This is great. He says in verse 9, he says, which is easier to do or which to say? He doesn't say do. He says, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sons are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. You see, here's the thing. When I was little, I always got this wrong. I always thought that the hardest thing to say would be that your sins are forgiven. Why? Because you can't do it. But that's the point. He doesn't say what you can't do. He says what you can say. He says, here's the reality. Like, when you think about what's harder to say, if I were to say, hey, pick up your, your bed and go home, and what happens? If nothing happens, then guess what? I'm a fraud. Nothing happens. But if I say, guess what? Hey, your sins are forgiven, you don't know. Like, there's no way for you to tell if that happened or not. It's like when you're born, you come out as a baby with, like, a sin meter on your heart. Like, you ever think that? Like, you know, they go, beep, 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 beep. Oh, here's where I'm at right now. By the way, the Cubs got kicked out of the playoffs last night. Beep, that's where I was late last night, you know? Like, sin enters in the world, and so somebody shows up and says, by the way, your sins are forgiven. Beep, beep. Like, you can't tell. You can't tell. And so what Jesus knows is that it's easier to say that your sins are forgiven. That's the easier thing to actually say, right? So here's the deal. So you come back over here. I'm going to go back to our, got to find my right marker here, okay? So I'm going to take us back just for a moment, because remember that when Jesus is talking earlier, he talks about the idea of sin. Like, what's the more basic problem? Is the more basic problem the fact that you have sin or the fact that you have physical ailments that you need me to heal, Right? The more basic problem, fundamentally, what's wrong with humanity is down here. This is a result of all of these things. You know, 
The, the, the fact that we have physical brokenness and all that stuff is a result of sin in the world. Not necessarily my sin, but just the depravity of the world, right? And so what Jesus does is that he connects the dots and he says, here's the deal. This is the fundamental thing. This is what you need more than anything. You might want this, but this is what you need most. And so when he comes and he asks this question, he says, here's the deal. Do you need me to heal you? Is it easier for me to say I forgive you or I heal you? And he comes over here, forgive Right? And then he draws a line back over here again to that next level healing. And all of a sudden, you find that when Jesus focuses on these things, all of a sudden, X marks the spot, doesn't it? X marks the spot. And all of a sudden, what we find ourselves in this moment, as we think about what C.S. Lewis maybe said, this is the trilemma factor. The trilemma is, is that here's the deal. Jesus is either a liar. He, he's just straight up lying about it. He's a lunatic because he's saying that he can do things, but he can't really do them. Or guess what? He really can, and he's Lord. That's at the center of that. Right at the center, is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he a Lord? And all of a sudden you go, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in this moment? And this is what everything has been leading up to. Check this out in verse 10. This is what happens. Jesus in that moment, he shows a purpose clause, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And all of a sudden, by doing the latter, he's proved the former. He's not a fraud. He's exactly who he says he is, and he can do exactly what he says that he can do. You are forgiven. That's what happens. In verse 12, the man's life is changed. Look at what happens then. It says, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Never saw anything like this. I love that circle, highlight, underline immediately. That's the second time in this passage that we've seen it used. Mark's way of introducing urgency. And so God shows up. Jesus shows up. He brings healing to the man's life. Guess what? There's a straightaway action. I respond. I do what Jesus says. I have a new identity and I have a new purpose in life. And that's this man, and everyone else is, is glorifying God. And by the way, when you think about this, right, when you think about blasphemy, you go back to the scribes, and they're worried about detracting from the glory of God. And yet, at the end of the day, the very thing that Jesus does is the very thing that actually glorifies God. It's not blasphemy. He is God. So here's my question. How you doing? How you doing right now? Are you captivated? Are you fascinated by Jesus? Do you realize how loved you are that when Jesus shows up in life and says, son, your sins are forgiven, it's a period and an end of a sentence and there's nothing more. There's no additions, there's no subtractions, it's final. That's what Jesus offers. And when I think about the end of this book, and we said this a couple weeks ago, that we read through Mark and at the end of this book, there's no middle ground. There's either two sides. You're either with Jesus or you're not, right? When I think about this, I come back to here and I go to these blue circles, right? The upper people, these people up on top, guess what kind of faith they have? They have a healing faith. Because these are the people that come to Jesus and like, here's the deal, Jesus, we believe. We know that you are who you say that you are and that you can do what you say that you can do. 
That's who we think that you are. We believe. But down below, all of a sudden, you've got the scribes, and those are the people with a hindering faith. Those are the people that reject. There's no two sides. There's only two sides with Jesus. We get to the end of this book, and we will either crown him with, with, uh, with glory, or we're going to crown him with thorns. That's the reality. And the invitation is to come and to see the real Jesus and to take what he has to offer him. I've got three points of application I want to give to you before we do some communion. Here's the first one. What Jesus offered then is what Jesus offers now. Okay, don't in, in any way, shape, or form ever think that God has somehow changed or got smarter or different or changed his strategy today than from back then. It's not like 2,000 years ago, he's like, hey, here's my best plan, take it forward. But 2,000 years later, he's got 1,000 new PhDs. He's like, hey, I got a better idea of what I'm doing. It's not the case. Forgiveness and the way that he offers it in that moment back then is the exact same thing that he offers now. It's the unconditional, gracious gift of God to forgive sins. It's beautiful. But here's the thing. It's also that what Jesus required then is what Jesus requires now. And we've been talking about this idea, right, of authority, right, and, and responding to Jesus' authority. And yet here's this guy who's, who's been healed, and all of a sudden, he's got a new identity. He's got a new purpose. The fact that his sins are forgiven, that's a permanent reality. And yet what does he do? He gets up and he obeys Jesus, and he does. So he's got a perfect, permanent reality, and then yet it affects his present. It's not like Jesus says, hey, here's what I want you to look like. And he's like, nah, I got my stuff. I got my card. I'm good. No, he responds to the authority of Jesus. Our present is changed by that eternal reality, and what Jesus requires is the same. And the last one is this. How Jesus dealt with people then is the same way that we should deal with people now. This is where it gets really practical, and I just want you to challenge yourself as you think about this, because here's the question. Here's the question. Who are you bringing to Jesus? Remember, I talked about these guys. Jesus saw their faith. You want to get really nitty-gritty with Jesus at the end of this passage. We can talk over and over about forgiveness, but it's also this reality. We have a new identity and a new purpose. Who are you bringing to Jesus right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we wrap up this time, Lord, I pray that, that on our hearts and on our minds that, that we would be a people who are wrestling with these things. We've said this before, is that it's really easy to follow Jesus from a distance. We can fill in the blanks of Jesus' story because we know that he was born in Bethlehem, but there is this reality that, that we need to follow from up close in today's world because that's what we're designed to be. The church is designed to be and needs to be a community of people who are united around the real person and the real ministry of Jesus in the real context of the world in which we live. Lord, we want to run to you this morning and realizing that what you offer this morning is forgiveness. And it's the same then as it is today, and it's the same today as it is then. And it's the same as it will be in 100 years from now. That it's a gracious gift that you extend to us. It's not by works. It's a gift. It's by the grace of God to be received by faith alone. That faith is always the means to salvation. Faith is always the means to healing. And yet, Lord, we also, Lord, there are people in this room who have never heard that. And so they go, man, I need to, I need to wrestle with that for the very first time that Jesus came to die on the cross for me. 
personally. But there are people in this room who have, who have learned that a long time ago, and they are now presently looking at Jesus going, Jesus, I get that, but here's the, here's the list of things that I need you to do right now. Here's my expectations. And for us, for us to, with total humility to come before the throne and say, Jesus, here are the things that we do want. And if we get those things, great. But if not, that's okay, because I know that I have what I need most. And that's the forgiveness of sins. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be challenging us to be a people who get that greater than anything else and that we would be a people who bring other people to Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.